Welcome to the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me in the co-pilot seat is Pete. Hello, the Pete. What is up, all my Mandos and Mandats? The Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek Guns are helmets for Chapter 18, The Rescue. Indeed, Pete, this the final episode of The Mandalorian for 2020, and all The Mandalorian that we're getting through December 2021. That, of course, will bring us uh, the start of The Book of Boba Fett uh, coming. They said December 2021. Pete, Kathleen Kennedy also had said the continuation, or the next chapter of The Mandalorian, which was weird wording at the time, comes Christmas 2021. Widely assumed that The Book of Boba Fett will drop uh, that holiday weekend. If they continue with Friday releases, technically Christmas Eve for those who celebrate. But uh, Pete, these are good problems to have. They are. There remains a clarity issue. And granted, you released an episode on a Friday. There was no clarification from Lucasfilm from something they obviously held out eight days from Disney Investor Day. What is the Book of Boba Fett? We will discuss in our theories in a little bit and we have some empirical evidence to point to um also matt uh the mandalorian gallery will return on christmas day we will discuss it in our season two wrap which will record sunday december 27th so you want to make sure you get those comments that feedback in for that but that's not all we're bringing you right now Indeed, Pete, over on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we have our discussion of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 310. It, too, had some big legacy nods this week. Uh, and, of course, there's three more episodes to go for this season of Discovery. So the adventure to the stars continues. And, Pete, I don't want to suggest that maybe good old Fantastic Geek is at the center of those stars, but for those paying attention... Discovery episode 313 uh, released on uh, January 7th, um, and then, you know, we'll re record it that weekend. The next weekend, uh, starting Friday, January 15th, is when WandaVision starts. So, seamless transition, especially after we've done low these last weeks of back-to-back uh, or at least back-to-back -back during the weekend uh, recordings of Discovery and Mandalorian. Uh, the universe giving us, A, a bit of a breather, but uh, no rest for the weary. Or the wicked. With that, it's time to hit the hunt. A Lambda-class shuttle evades fire from Slave 1 as two male pilots ferry Dr. Pershing who asks who is attacking them. Pilot Nathaniel Malik, whose father was Gideon, now works for Moff Gideon, and suggests that Dr. Pershing shut his mouth because this isn't his laboratory. Boba Fett taps a button and lines up the shuttle, hitting it with an ion cannon and crashing their avionics and comms. Boba tells them to lower their shields, disengage all transponders, and prepare for boarding. Dr. Pershing wants to fight these pirates, but Nathaniel doesn't have a death wish. Slave One maneuvers closely past the cockpit, and a loud thud indicates it's latched on before Mando enters 
blaster drawn and Nathaniel introduces Dr. Pershing, who Mando has met, and asks if the kid is still alive. Now, Pete, of course, you having a bit of fun there with Nathaniel Malik. Uh, my notes, too, called him Kid Malik. Of course, we just spent this past summer uh, with him as the primary antagonist on season seven of Agents of Shield. Pete, as we heard from a uh, from a listener, and we'll get into the tweet uh, word for word in our feedback portion. Uh, it's good to know the uh, casting, the central casting person who happened to have cast this show and uh, Agents of Shield. It's good to get the work, especially if you're acting speciality is the ability to sneer and talk down to everyone i'm sure the actor is a lovely guy pete but boy the characters he plays uh we love to see them dispensed with uh first though uh co-pilot aka kid malik uh sees that the main pilot or the other co-pilot pete i'm not quite sure what the also a shield alum (laughs) uh indeed indeed um but the the other one the one that does not have the gun on pershing says he's ready to make a deal, and gets shot. Um, it's, it's around this point when Cara Dune enters the situation, and uh, Kid Malik sneering at her. He saw Alderaan go as the galaxy cheered, um, noting, I guess, Pete, the inference here that that teardrop-type uh, Rebel Alliance tear is meant to be uh, to be shed for Alderaan. Um, if that was the case, it's new to me here, um, he says that the destruction of Alderaan was a small price, and boom, gets shot. And I love the little, I mean, it's more than an affect, but I love the notion that the blaster hitting uh, the, 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 the R.I.P. Kid Malik uh, in the face, that it leads to Pershing kind of like screaming. I took it from the sound as much as the notion that the person next to you just ended their time in this universe, but it's just, I mean, my goodness, what an arresting start. He has the most blasterable face and attitude in the galaxy. And if, if you're going to grab that actor and do it, it was the way to go. Uh, as Kara dead up leaves, Mando turns around, even through the mask with the, the blue glare of the back of the cockpit, astonished. Music swells for the title card, Chapter 16, The Rescue. Pete, we got the R title for the eighth episode of the second season. It was with uh, the article the, but uh, we had a we had a uh, one in twenty six uh, uh, shot, Matt. So we we did it! Hurrah! <laughs> Slave one heads to and sets down on a planet with enormous smokestacks billowing beside other ships, and immediately recognizable a Mandalorian fighter. Mando and Boba exit the ship and enter a cantina, finding Bo-Katan and Cosca Reeves. Uh, Axe Wooves, Matt, it should be noted, uh, went to the bathroom and they leave without him. Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to see actor Simon Cassiandidis back again, but I think, I don't know, there's, there's a physical limit to the number of cool people who can join the Magnificent, whatever the final number is in this, and, and I get that. Um, there is some verbal headbutting between Casca Reeves and Boba Fett. Um, we also have Bo-Katan impressed that Mando can get her to Moff Gideon. Uh, it's amazing how much of this scene is, um, kind of chess piece placing exposition, Mm -hmm. but it really doesn't feel like it. Pete, I just want to throw out, look, I love me 
Battlestar Galactica, and uh, I loved it the whole way through. I know you did not. Katie Sackhoff, obviously, you know, a, a, an icon of the age. I think perhaps some of the Star Wars George Lucas type dialogue that she is delivering here maybe is not ultra comfortable uh, for her. Um, and if you want to say, well, that's just that's just the way it is. Like, it's not a huge criticism. I'm just saying if this was another kind of show, maybe it'd be like, oh, hey, Katie wants to change some of the wording here. Katie wants to include maybe a contraction uh, here and there. And if that's not the character, that's fine. I just want to share that little, not even criticism, an observation here. But um, I will respectfully disagree. I think she she gives it everything she needs to here. A, a lifelong and child of a lifelong Star Wars fan. She was able to share her father on the bridge of the, the light cruiser from the, the set. So we can't say it's not important to her. I doubt she was watching Battlestar back in the day. Moving back to the scene proper, Pete, one of the, uh, the, the modest innovations to come out of this season is to make things out of kind of a plastery type material. It first caught my eye um, in, the, uh, in the episode where our dearly departed uh, Razor Crest was destroyed and where some of the Stormtrooper armor was shattering in a way to suggest, you know, broken bones and whatnot, but not give any of that gore. Here, when Casca, Reeves, and Boba Fett fight, they smash into plastery tables that, you know, crumble and there's dust and whatnot, and it really just adds to the oomph, particularly since they're both wearing suits of armor. So it's like... Good job, knights in armor. Punch each other's in the face where it'll do no damage. Uh, it's it's kind of like a hockey fight if you don't take your your your, your helmet off. Um, but ultimately, enough fighting, says Bo-Katan, will help in exchange for A, keeping Gideon's ship, and B, leaving Gideon to Bo-Katan, she says, not wanting to underline it to make it too big a thing later <laughs> on, but to make sure that you know she wants that personal revenge. Yes, the ancient weapon that belonged to her can cut through anything, but almost anything, not Chekhov's Beskar spear or any other Beskar anybody might have on. Oh, hey, Boba Fett, by the way, uh, you for the audience that may not know, you're a clone. You came from a donor. Your father uh, was a donor. And uh, I've heard thousands of voices like you. That was funny. The, the threat to her got Cosca Reeves uh, to, to jump up into Boba's face and, and fight to a draw. Not quite sure what dueling flamethrowers really was all about, but the, the rest of that was, was great. Okay. But the takeaway here, other than uh, Bo-Katan wants Moff Gideon that she wants the dark saber with that she'll finally be able to reclaim Mandalore. She also asks that Mando reconsider joining their journey, their mission, but he just wants the kid. Maybe consider have... it for next season. I don't know. Just, <laughs> just you know, if you, if you need a new story in the future, that's not going to be, with uh with uh you know with, with some of the people in this episode but may include some of the others you know maybe help us rebuild mandalore next season but the kid is his priority as is ours slave one the mandalorian ship and the shuttle now huddled together 
We've got Dr. Pershing cuffed. Bo-Katan takes us through the Ocean's Eleven plan that is completely going to go the way that she lays out. Yes, I am reminded of uh, how both Citizen Kane and Titanic open up with, uh, maybe not right away, but very very quickly in the beginnings of those films, open up with an explanation of what is supposed to happen um, in the what is supposed to happen when they go when you see it again in the future which is in the past that kind of thing same thing here okay here's the ship there's less baddies there no problem dr pershing says actually there is a problem dark troopers third generation hashtag all droid no man man they're in cold storage in the cargo bay and need a few minutes to power up dr pershing saying therefore you have a story clock as for the child he's over here in the brig with guards and Bo-Katan spelling out that they're going to land the shuttle in the launch uh, tube and then head in. That'll be a distraction so that Mando can actually slip in and get the kid. All Mando has to do is lock off the Dark Troopers before they launch. They're going to do that with Dr. Pershing's little code key tubey thing. And uh, then they'll all meet in the bridge where, of course, Moff Gideon will be the entire time. No problem. It's all very clear and laid out. Slave one in hyperspace, the shuttle just ahead. Bo-Katan reiterates, Matt, Moff Gideon is hers. Got it? She seems to place a lot of focus on that, but okay, no problem. You get you get Moff Gideon at the end is what Mando and Cara Dune here. You get him in the end, fine. Um they well, exit Kara wants him alive though for information which that is an important point as well oh absolutely I, I'm, I'm I guess w- w- what I'm saying with my 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 faux misunderstanding is they since Bo-Katan is hiding this this you know biggest of treats which is whoever you know defeats him gets the dark saber is now you know uh the the royal of Mandalore since a, she's hiding that from them, obviously, and B, she's hiding that from the story reveal. Um, what do Mando and Kara hear? They hear, like, okay, you need some sort of satisfaction to declare yourself, like, the winner. Fine. What's Kara hearing on top of that? Fine, you get him to surrender to you, and then I go take him since I'm, you know, Marshal Cara Dune now. Indeed. So that repeated for our characters, our audience... Okay, as long as he surrenders to Bo-Katan, everything will happen the way it's meant to happen. With that, uh, Boba prepares to uh, exit jump space. Uh, Bo-Katan tells him to get out of there and clear uh, as they dock and make those shots look convincing. he tells her to power up those shields, princess, and he'll put on a good show. Um, she also reminds him to watch those deck cannons. Um, but he says to uh, be careful in there. So there, there remains this grudging push-pull of disdain and also care, which I think with Boba is interesting now in light of the book of Boba Fett and what that potentially means there. Uh, Casca counts them down as they exit hyperspace. Slave one comes a firing on the cruiser, Matt female comm officer, not 
Sabine Wren uh, is is there. Gotten a lot of screen time this season, and you pointed to me a rumor Thursday night in the in the swell before the season two finale here. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, there was the there was the juicy theory that I also think was it had all the great aspects of uh, of good theory work in that the notion that this. Um, that this comms officer kept recurring and how that's rare in Star Wars to have a minor person kind of keep coming back and coming back, that perhaps it was setting up the reveal, um, A, that episode 208 would deliver us a legacy character from a non-Mandalorian um, property that is nonetheless Star Wars, and B, that it would be uh, Sabine Wren undercover and it would be the big reveal and the big convergence and whatnot. So Pete... Good work on the on the OP, the original poster of that theory. I think the the work was good. The outcome, not that, doesn't take away from the from the theory work of it. Um, but it was it was in my head as I'm watching. Yeah, and there are looks she gives in this scene that now I'm watching, and the secrecy surrounding this series and in particular this episode is something to be. Uh, in awe of Um, you know from Mark Hamill we now know that his participation in this happened more than a year ago to a place not the place but a place where a lot of leaks come from is usually in the international subtitling process because there's a lot of hands that the product can potentially pass through one of the controls they took with this episode, the Luke Skywalker portion dialogue, not just the dialogue, also the um, the video was missing when it went to international subtitling. I'll add to that, and I, I would agree that there are many hands in the subtitling process. Um, I've noticed in the credits there's some phrase like um, it's not quite this clunky, but it's like Disney international subtitling. Like they're doing the subtitling in house now. May in house may be we have a team in Spain who we have hired and who we said here's all these you know uh, disclosure non disclosure agreements et cetera et cetera. So potentially they still could be whispering, but it's like hey, this is the full time Spanish crew that does Mandalorian and also is doing this the the you know the Spain dubbing for lots and lots of things potentially. Um, so it's kind of quasi in-house, but that's just genius. That's just genius to be like, no, just say these words. Pete, you also get to add to it. How many times in the episode does anybody say, look, it's the Luke Skywalker <laughs> who blowed up Death Star. It's the right? return of a Jedi. Like you have, I mean, you have him say, are you a Jedi? But just to have, you know, to have Juan in Spain and, Pierre in France, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> just be given a script where they say, come with me, I shall watch him, for the training is important, otherwise the powers can grow, like, any Jedi, any, oh, exactly. it's, a, it's a male, you yes. know. Yes, a, a state secret and, and maintained um, brilliantly. So this Lambda Shuttle 2743 uh, needs the emergency clearance, to dock it continues to dodge fire from slave one and immediately we as the audience see 
Gideon is thinking this over. He he does not miss a beat. The female officer has received the request. Gideon, nope, launches TIE fighters. She looks over. Uh, and again, in my head is she's she's going to, you know, lock the launch door. This this is the is this the Sabine Wren reveal? Uh, but instead, she's trying to get the uh, shuttle to stay clear. The tube doors open. We've got the the tie on the hook brought over and then Battlestar Galactica style shooting out uh, of, of the Viper Tunnel. Uh, the shuttle banks to the front. A second fighter gets out. They play chicken. It breaks off. The request is denied by the female uh, comms officer. Clear that launch tube until those fighters can deploy. Negative. They're under attack, Matt, because nobody has windows at all to see this. <laughs> and I think we've also got to talk about, you know, so Gideon, again, doesn't miss a thing. He knows bo has attacked. Mandalorian pirates have attacked his shipments repeatedly. He doesn't recognize her voice in a shuttle, I, I guess, is a little bit of a conceit. Um, and now the fighters have lined up behind Slave One. In the hangar, there's a male officer who gets them to stand down on a third uh, tie being launched. He sees the shuttle coming through the volume thing, door, window, force field. Boba breaks right. The wings of the shuttle lifting. Bo-Katan strains there. Fennec tells everybody, because Ming-Na Wen, as the super fan that she is and the Disney legend that she is, she gets to say all the things we as the audience think or want in this episode. She, she tells us here to hang on. Uh, they collide a little bit with the side as they skid in Boba dodges, those cannons, the shuttle screeches to a halt and Boba blows up both ties and heads to hyperspace into that shuttle bay, Matt. Well, first let me say a couple of thoughts. First of all, I think, um, I agree with your concern that maybe it shouldn't be Bo-Katan on the radio, and maybe if they were going to go back and do a final, final, final draft of this, uh, maybe it should have been Casca Reeves, just just in case Gideon recognizes her voice. Flip side, all right, you're going to give the line to Katie Sackoff, the the um, uh, more senior actor of the two, uh, so, so be it. And we could just infer from the... We can infer from what we see, Gideon does not recognize her voice for a variety of reasons. Or if he does, he doesn't, you know, whatever it is, it's kind of like it doesn't change the story ultimately. Second, I do have some kind of basic design concerns about the launch tube and it being so close to the walls of the uh, uh, of this, uh, this craft here. That said, Pete, this is classic Imperial design that has no concern for, you know, for, for workplace safety and things of that <laughs> sort, as we're going to talk about. Uh, in a scene or two so my, my my gentle joke here is is to say ultimately it's in line with imperial design and honestly to just have a cool aesthetic not something that's like you know the best pilots can travel through this but we're going to make runways three times as big for the sake of safety i'll also point out pete by my reckoning 
after Boba Fett destroys the uh, final um, TIE fighter, it's the last time a man will kill someone in this episode. Pete, on the one hand, I don't want to glorify violence, but, you know, I grew up, you grew up watching all these movies, whether it was westerns, whether it was Star Wars movies, whether it was whatever, um, where it's just par for the course to see the hero, the male hero, you know, killing people left and right, you know, whether it's R-rated stuff, Rambo, Predator, etc. It's always the men doing it. Uh, for the remainder of the episode, Pete, I was going to count, and then I just couldn't count and take notes at the same time. Every other Stormtrooper death um, now comes at the hands of one of the four women. That's pretty cool. Again, I'm not trying to glorify, uh, glorify violence, but, uh, you know, I never complained about Rambo taking out baddies or Schwarzenegger taking out baddies, and here you have this quartet of women that just lay waste to all the stormtroopers for the rest of the episode. Yeah, and we're going to head down the ramp in a second. I want to add to that. There is this almost exclusively male chorus now of, this is how you do a not-forced female team up and not like in Avengers Endgame where that's not how you do it. How about they're both the way? Um, I think that given us how we've had eight or more episodes, I mean, how long has it been since we met Cara Dune? Um, that was about four episodes into the first season. So given that we've had yeah, tw- 12 episodes or so, to organically bring these women together. Um, and here, it's, uh, again, it's another example of how The Mandalorian as a show does a lot of complex work to make things look simple. It must have occurred to, you know, the it's a majority of men that are behind this show. It must have occurred to them at a certain point, hey, we can do this awesome female offensive, and we're also kind of putting Mando, I mean to the back burner a bit insofar as there's the main offensive with, the, with that happens to be women. There's the main offensive over here and Mando is going to, you know, slink through the shadows over there. Hey, this could be win, win, win. The fact that they've had all these episodes to get these female characters in place and weave them in and out. Um, so it's not like, you know, the entire use of these female characters has not been as it was uh, an episode or two ago where it's like, um, you know, Mayfeld and Mando do all the cool stuff, and the ladies are on the ridge watching, which is really, really important, but they're they're definitely second-place characters in that episode. I think here it's more earned. That said, it doesn't take away from what Avengers Endgame did, just in terms of saying, look at all these female characters. Hey, it's so amazing to get them all together. Why haven't we been doing that sooner? Like, it's almost that... Why, why wasn't that built organically in? So if it's going to be... If it was an applause point in Endgame and they get points for that, then it also is a moment to say, yeah, we probably should have done this sooner. What's the next major pop culture iteration? Well, it's this, and what have they done? They've done a better job making it happen. So, as you say, Pete, as you were were suggesting, it's kind of win-win. It is win-win. It's lose-lose for the Stormtroopers, though, who try to clear the launch tube. The, the lights from the shuttle as a really nice way to both blind them and us of this uh estrogen 
uh, overload of death <laughs> that comes spewing out of the shuttle. Uh, Fennec Shand, Cara Dune, our female Mandalorians, our Mandats, Matt. Uh, Gideon is listening, and he knows this is not good. He activates the Dark Troopers. So story clock now ticking. The female comms officer takes her code cylinder and starts the control. In the Dark Trooper Bay, Matt, we have dubstep, we have smoke, we have rising levels, we have red eyes. And in the quiet of the launch bay now, the offensive pushing forward, we have Mando coming out, we have Chekhov's Beskar spear. Indeed. And just to, to return to the Dark Troopers ever so, uh, ever so slightly... Um, as they power up, it crossed my mind. Thank goodness they got the guy who wrote the movie about the superpower suit and the director for, of the other movie about the guy with the superpower suit to get these dark troopers that are all superpowered suits. Like, it just kind of worked out. Funny how it worked out that way. That everybody, all the Marvel guys that made the suit, the robot suit movies, uh, contributed to the guy in the suit fights robot suits uh, here. But... Um, as you say, uh, Mando tiptoeing out there on the real mission. Uh, we also get the women on kind of the bridge that's looking the the open spaceport again. Pete, where is the <laughs> occupational safety and health administration? Where is OSHA? Oh wait, it's just the Star Wars aesthetic. Oh, further wait, Pete, this bridge over the over the uh, the Abyss. the bay. <laughs> What's that? Over the abyss. Yeah, over the abyss. <laughs> it's also story set up for later because that will be the entry point for the uh, dark troopers who then swoop up and land on the bridge. Also then placing them geographically closer. I don't know how much closer, but in the geography of the episode, launch bay is here. Shuttle bay is a little bit, you know, connected to that. Then you got to twist and turn. Then you make your way to this bridge thing. and Like... It's, it's already part of the journey that later on the Dark Troopers will re-enter, land, and they're already a third of the way towards their final location. So with that, we check in with Mando, still skulking about. Sometimes there's stormtroopers, and he hides here. He turns there. We see that the troopers are at 50% and rising. The ladies have a shootout in what I'll assume is the cargo bay, uh, and great action moments there. Pete, to, to, the, to the scorn of our anonymous friend, the author, uh, again, not literally the author of this episode, uh, probably the script for this scene was the ladies' fight, and then, you know, relying upon the director and the stunt coordinator and the stunt performers and the actors uh, to really flesh this out into just a scene of super fun mayhem uh, and carnage. Um, indeed, Pete... Ming-Na Wen, man. You're not going to go get Ming-Na Wen and not allow her to rule this scene like she does blasting kicking the the move away from a blaster bolt that only the timeless 57 year old miss wen can do we also see the Kara. she she has a machine gun but then it jams fooey pete i bet it'll be jammed until it's unjammed right when it's needed uh i love pete that Cara Dune uses it like a club. I felt like in this episode, Pete, I, we, nay, many of us have had some, ha, have felt a divergence between 
the actress and some of her perspectives and the character and some of her perspectives. Pete, Cara Dune in this episode won me back to say, you know what? We're going to leave the past in the past. We're going to look ahead to a brighter future. Um, oh, and also I'm the guy that predicted none of the goodies die in this episode. So that worked out well, too. Well, her CGI is indistinguishable. Once they are in the elevator, they're, of course, uh, moving on. And Mando uh, is moving towards the Dark Trooper Bay, where the hoses have come off from, I guess they charge, like, chargeless phone chargers you just plug those things on anywhere but they've all come off and now they've got their rifles and they're marching towards the door no 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 gets that cylinder in there door starts to close but one manages to pry the door open and out punching him across the corridor uh blasts are futile uh it pulls his arm it punches his helmet into the wall thank goodness Matt, uh, that his Game of Thrones persona learned to wear a helmet because otherwise this would not have gone well. Yes, it all works out there with the Beskar. By the way, in the background, the other uh, Dark Troopers, the next ones in line, are trying to slowly punch their way out. Pete, that's what you call in the biz foreshadowing. Uh, Mando, barely holding his own against this dark trooper, fires the last of his whistling birds. That story set up for later. No luck. Then he uses the Beskar spear, of course, with the requisite, you know, ripping of cables, which which would be neck muscles, except it's a robot rated TV PG, and a little bit of oil spraying. Again, it's not blood, PG, and so forth. Um, Mando then finally, after having had a couple of quick attempts shown already, he gets the door panel uh, and launches the rest of the Dark Troopers into space. Pete, that's the last we'll hear from them, I'm sure. Of course it is. Of course it is. In the elevator, you know, Matt, Kara can't get her gun to work because Dank Farrick, son of a mudscuffer, Bo-Katan, being a nice lady that she is, offers to help, but Kara gets it to work again. Excuse me. And then she opens fire on the hallway leading to the bridge. Uh, Fennec sneaks around and gets our female comm officer from behind. R.I.P. Not Sabine Wren uh, comm officer from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Koska uh, says the weapon system has been disarmed, but Bo-Katan wonders, where is Gideon? He was totally supposed to stay on the bridge. He's mine. Did you get that? He's mine. Stay on the bridge, Moth Gideon. Don't go anywhere else where you might be protecting a the asset, the child, Grogu. Pete, you have me wondering the people who had certain predictions for episode nine, be they uh, bloggers with a Z or YouTubers with a Z, uh, and then were angry that Star Wars dared not let them write it, but instead had a different uh, plan. 
I wonder if they were similarly angry um, that the Sabine Wren theory, which again, I love that theory. I love the theory work behind it. That's what you're supposed to do in terms of trying to sift through clues. It was just the wrong prediction, and that's okay, uh, as opposed to how dare they take my Star Wars from me because I imagined this and Lucasfilm did not hire me, and so I'm angry. Um, but I wonder where those people are up to. We'll have to do some research between now and our season two wrap. Uh, but speaking of where's Gideon, look at that. It's like the story throws the ball and then Mando catches the ball because he gets to the brig, takes out the two troopers uh, by the brig, and it's Gideon inside, dark saber in hand, uh, deployed over the child. Gideon monologues about knowing most things, uh, including the fact that Bo-Katan won't be happy uh, that uh, that she can't find Gideon. Um, indeed, probably up there on the bridge. They're starting to panic. Uh, because after all, whoever wields the sword has the right to claim power on Mandalore. Pete, I know that that line on first view, maybe it's starting to stick out in your head that there's a thing here. Obviously, after you've seen the episode, that line sticks out because it's a, a point of contention there. I think on third view, you go, whoa, they really are setting up a likely season three thing, which is, you know, however that's going to play out in terms of, I doubt Bo-Katan and uh, Din Djarin are going to have a battle to the death in the, you know, season finale or season premiere of season three, but they really seem to be setting up a, a you know, a storyline in that direction. But Pete, for all this sword talk, Mando just suggests that Gideon keep the sword and walk away. Gideon shrugs and says he got what he want from the child. He got the blood. Uh, all that research stuff it can help bring order. Uh, take the child. Uh, we'll just split. I never want to see you again. And uh, Pete, being two honorable men, they stick to that deal, right? <laughs> Moffin has told us before. If if you want to know if you can trust me, you cannot. So I guess the characterization here is that is so into recollecting Grogu that he turns his back on the guy with the thing that can't cut through Vascar, I mean, he is protected from it. Uh, they have it out. We we get the the attack by Gideon leading away from the child, so he is safe back in there in the binders. Um, in the hallway, we pull the sphere. Uh, now it's on, and this is blocked really, really well. Uh, the dark saber slashing forced into the wall the beskar spear heating up at the point of impact um it it's great for what is not a duel but instead a a fight um and uh you know whether it's into the wall or then you know mando's cool uh kick of his spear with his heel that then flips it over uh, to the other end to deflect the dark saber, uh, roping with the grappling hook around Gideon, which of course he cuts off. But then he's down, he's disarmed. The dark saber on the other side of the corridor, the spear to his neck. Oh wait, you're sparing my life. This should be interesting. Uh, again, Gideon kind of ahead of the curve here, each step, uh, even in loss. On the bridge, Mando arrives with Gideon, and the second view reveals the Darksaber subtext all over Bo-Katan's face. Uh, Gideon wonders why Bo-Katan isn't killing Mando to take the Darksaber. 
Uh, and indeed, Mando's just ready to hand it over. But no, no, it must be one in battle. Okay, Mando says by inference. Uh, battle, battle. I yield, but it's not about ownership. The Darksaber, great line here. The Darksaber doesn't have power. The story does. Yeah, and I, I think that's thematically important for this, for all Star Wars there are major issues with uh, Bogotan not accepting the Darksaber. Matt, she has just accepted the Darksaber before. That's how she got it. She did not win it in battle. But, hey, Matt, you don't take off your helmet. I take off my helmet. But now you take off your helmet when you need to, and later you also will in front of me for the first time with the child. So rules can change, right? uh indeed indeed rules can change there's a baked in argument for flexibility in these two seasons that um that that makes things okay indeed pete i'm just reflecting back you know one thinks of the uh the strict rules of the jedi were were they ultimately correct you know attachment is forbidden except huh Obi-Wan was pretty attached to Duchess Satine Kreese, the sister of Bo-Katan. Um, Anakin became attached to Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, Padme. Like, if you cannot look at these stories and understand, there's the dogma, and then there's when you diverge from the dogma. So it's not a story about... You do this and only this. You do this until something else matters enough that you don't do that. And the the Darksaber question will be dealt with down the road. I mean, we've proposed it on this podcast from, you know, when the Darksaber showed up. This is a pathway ultimately to the titular character, the Mandalorian, becoming the leader of the Mandalorians. Um, so, so that is all of that. But Gideon is gleeful in delivering this because, of course, he knew how it was going to go. One wonders if it wasn't the backup plan that I can't defeat him. Pete, I know this much. It's a shame for Moff Gideon that there no longer is an Imperial Senate because I think he would have made a great Senate Majority Leader. (laughs) It's true. And he doesn't look like a turtle. Um, But this discord being sown here, uh, you know, he's explaining that without the blade she's a pretender and uh Bogotan admits that that's accurate even though mando is offering it to her uh just then an alarm goes off this alarm matt bad the same alarm in a little bit not as bad perhaps gideon says uh Bo-Katan will get another crack at the dark saber and then there's Fennec to tell us the, the important things in this episode. The ray shields have been breached. that are being boarded. What life forms, Bo-Katan asks, none. Back into the fray come our death troopers with Ludwig Gorenson's dubstep. 
uh, others flying in from both sides into the uh, the lower holds. Uh, Gideon explains they're about to face off with the Death Troopers again. You had your hands full, Mando, with one. Let's see how you do against the platoon as they iron men onto that bridge, Matt. Indeed, they do. The very same space bridge that we saw earlier. So, again, while I have some real deep design questions as to the like, like why such a thing would get built, um, the answer is it's this is not science fiction. As I've said before, it's not science fiction. This is science fantasy. Why is it there? Because it makes for a cool image, and the particulars get figured out from there. Um, we know, of course, that the. There, this is really now no way out. We see how bad the battle was against the one. Now there's conservatively, what, 20, 30, 40? Uh, Gideon is thrown to the ground where he he all but palms a blaster. Yes, he puts his cloak over it, but that story seed is planted for a bit later. Uh, the blast doors for the bridge are sealed. All of this while tension increases. It's astonishing. I mean, Pete, we have nothing but respect for Peyton Reed. Uh, and certainly his Marvel outings. Uh, I would also say, you know, some of his comedic stuff is great. Uh, Bring It On holds up. Uh, he's he's never shy to, um, to uh, you know, accept the fact that he's the director of Bring It On, the cheerleading movie, as much as it is, you know, cool Marvel stuff. Uh, but the way here that he's able to take what in an episode summary is not a lot of stuff you know the the robots get sooner the, the robots come closer rather it's, it's sooner until they're going to attack and just stretches out the tension same thing with you know, wait what's that it's an x-wing the way even the camera can't quite track the x-wing properly like you see it move through the frame as the camera turns a bit it's not this capture it perfectly so that you can see wait is that is that an x-wing from my youth wait who's flying it it's just the visuals here are so amazing and to save myself from repeating in a little bit same thing with you know the hooded figure making his way slowly up to the bridge it it just goes on and on and on but you don't feel that it's moving too slow it's just that perfect stretch of tension even though all of this is essentially robot march, robot march, robot march, or robot slice, robot slice, robot slice. It just it lasts forever as the tension builds. It's Hitchcockian in the way in the way the director executes it all. Well, listen, the the black and white security feed idea was the way to add even greater tension, um, and it it delays the reveal of. Who is in the X-Wing? Who is that cloak figure? Who is that cloak figure who's now wielding a lightsaber? Oh my God, color footage, it's green, but is it another green wielding lightsaber character? Like th that was the way to to delay this and, and in the best uh, that it's done that way. Uh, it's so... somebody with a black clad hand left hand or black clad <laughs> hand but I can't see the other hand so uh, you know there's indeed. a lot of people that wear one it could have been Michael Jackson Matt <laughs> the greatest villain of them all <laughs> the greatest villain George Lucas ever I worked with a child <laughs> come, come with me Grogu <laughs> um, amidst all of this wonderful tension here of that, that hooded uh, that hooded figure 
Um, Gideon tries to take out first Bo-Katan. Whew, thank goodness for that, you know, that armor. Then the child. We have Din Djarin jumping to protect him. Uh, Pete, so, so lucky that all of these blasts through all these episodes, whenever they're fired at Beskar armor-clad bodies, they hit the armor and not, you know, uh, the, the soft portion of the tummy where there is no armor, etc. Um, the remaining dark troopers prepare uh, at the bridge-level elevator. Uh, and after all of the horror, uh, the hallway carnage, uh, we have Grogu looking on with recognition. Finally, Mando says that the doors should be opened. Yeah, and the way, again, that this is teased out. So Grogu's ears perking as uh, Bo-Katan can't get this incoming X-Wing to identify itself. The continued tension of the dark troopers stopping their punching now holding their rifles turning around um and what i have in my notes that i'm writing from memory watching it are they doing it are are they going to do this because that was the real question you know the rear uh black and white camera of the the dark hooded figure uh, all alone. Then you see this figure with a lightsaber uh, deflecting and slashing. Uh, Bo-Katan asks is if it's a Jedi and, you know, the greatest acting moment of this episode is Giancarlo Esposito when he hears the mention of the word Jedi and the abject fear that comes across his face. On the um, the non-OSHA approved space bridge we see it is a green saber for the first time you you have to know to look you look for the iconic Luke also worn by Han belt buckle you see that Grogu is now feeling a connection uh, in the cargo hold we see that it is clearly Luke's green lightsaber uh, uses the force to crush uh, a crate against a dark trooper. And as we mentioned before, Gideon uh, throwing away his shot, uh, not getting it done there, uh, getting the blaster that he goes to place to his chin, knocked out of his hand, and then he's knocked out by Cara Dune. And then we get the long hallway shot with uh, the... It's actually probably going to be corrected, Matt, a la Gene's guy. Um, they didn't fully do the saber. It is someone swinging a uh, FX saber without the full, I don't even know if they rotoscope it anymore or they just digitized it or whatever, but it's a long shot and it, it it's not the best FX moment in this episode. Uh, Grogu touches the cam as he's seeing this. Uh, then we watch as, uh, the figure gets into the elevator, the dark troopers turn outside the bridge, their guns are ready. And then the elevator dings cue the rogue one Luke hooded hallway sequence. Oh, and it's phenomenal. I mean, all the, all the action there and surely it must have been meant to be evocative of of rogue one um i think a discussion for certainly another segment if not our season two wrap you know how much of 
fan expectations and fan feedback went into this episode, how much of the different Star Wars properties just kind of creatively talking to each other, and I don't mean person to person, how much was it, you know, how much was Peyton Reed like, oh my goodness, that one was amazing, now let's do the good guy version, um, you know, or, oh my goodness, it's meant to be, uh, my father before me, like how, how, what's that discussion look like? Heck Pete, maybe we get that in the, the, uh, gallery episode for season two. Uh, but I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's everything that we could have, that we could have wanted by the time the hooded figure makes his way through the door. Once it's opened, we see the gloved hand cross over the body, the ungloved hand revealed, as you mentioned, Pete, we also get the iconic belt and the less iconic boots, but the, the boots nonetheless, before the hood comes off, boom, young Luke Skywalker. Uh, Pete, we, we won't linger much on the confusion that some people had as to how young Luke Skywalker could uh, get a young Yoda, but old Yoda trained an even younger Luke Skywalker. We'll just say that that's a, that's a concern that's out there, and probably it's not a concern of of our listeners of, of rational people who understand there are different stories at different time frames. Why is he young again? I thought he was dead. Really? Um, so the, the, the one criticism about the music in this episode is it's not epic enough when he's laying waste to the dark troopers. Um, is that your sp- criticism or, or, or audience criticism? That is that has been an audience criticism that that I've read. Because here's my to... answer, here, here's my answer to that, Pete. If I could, that's not actually what people are criticizing. What people are criticizing is I wanted the music to give me force theme to tell me that this is Luke Skywalker before there's the reveal. And you Correct. know what? That's the that's an okay <laughs> instinct, but it's the wrong decision to make and. Ludwig Göransson and everybody else made the right decision, which is you're only seeing this one time. And if we give you the force theme, you're going to know who it is. Correct. And the thrust of this scene is not uh, this lengthy lead up. The thrust is not to tell you that it's Luke Skywalker. The thrust is to me is to have you want it to be Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Then the show gives it to you visually, not Ludwig Göransson tells you that what, it's okay for you to want what you want. And you get it immediately. It's, it's about, holding back to get the reveal not well well it's just luke because you know it because of the iconic theme and you still get the theme when he reveals his face uh grogu peeks around from the chair that he's been placed in uh mando asks if he's a jedi and then mark hamill's voice tells him he is uh luke extends a hand come little one uh but mando says he doesn't want to go with him luke tells mando he is desiring his permission uh grogu is Uh, he's strong with the force but talent without training is nothing he will give his life to protect the child we're going to talk a lot about that um but he will not be safe until he masters his abilities and it's if we weren't already emotional enough at the uh, reappearance of heyday Luke Skywalker here, Mando picks up Grogu, cradles him, tells him to go on. That's who he belongs with. He's one of your kind that he will see him again. He promises. And with a coup here, Grogu touches uh, Din Djarin's helmet 
that he then lifts and takes a long look at Grogu. Grogu touches his cheek, our hearts all melted at this moment. Uh, Din closes his eyes then tells his pal, it's all right, it's time to go, not to be afraid, and puts him down. Grogu grabs his leg. And then just the third punch here, Matt, is R2-D2. Oh, yeah, fantastic moment. Um, particularly, it's a moment that's given enough time to breathe. You know, R2 rolls on in, yay, hooray. And then R2 kind of considering Grogu, bringing up the third, uh, the third wheel, enough to kind of, for R2 to bend over a little bit, um, allowing the two to really share a moment. With that, Luke gives a nod and thanks. Uh, I mean, all of this, Pete, again, Peyton Reed and company, so judicious with the number of close-ups that they're going to give Luke Skywalker here for, for obvious kind of technical limitations. Don't get me wrong. I think that the CG uh, de-aging is quite good uh it's certainly with all due respect it surpasses the plastic uh bantha Pudu show that there was in rogue one with um thrawn certainly and leia was not perfect but i think it was it was a much better version but just the the shot choices here in terms of all right we're gonna luke gets dialogue but sometimes it's dialogue over the shoulder so we're not gonna do an effects thing like it's just they give you the right amount and they don't they don't overdo what the effects cannot do. Admittedly, Matt, through near blinding tears of joy at 345 in the morning, um, this did not look like CGI to me. Uh, Sebastian Stan has been loudly whispered about as somebody they could go to. And I'm wondering, is, is this him? Is this him? Uh, the credits confirm it is not. We have Mark Hamill, and then there there is a double whose name is out there that is the body upon which de-aged Luke Skywalker's uh, face goes on. Um, but back to the elevator here, Luke has turned. There's a lingering shot of Grogu over the shoulder looking as uh, Din Djarin watches. Uh, he is tearful. And the door closes. There's no art in the credits, Matt. And I turned it off. <laughs> oh, no. no. I, did you I, really? I did. I, we're not conditioned like we are with Marvel to stay through the end. And Pete, though, I didn't. Listen, I didn't even check to see how much episode was left. Um, I did. I must admit, I did do that. Uh, I don't remember what came first, chicken or the egg, in terms of... Um, the 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 Boba Fett um, spur jingle at, at the end of that episode in season one. That's um, not after the credits. It's not after the credits. It's but... not after the credits. Well, my, anyhow, the, clearly my memory there a bit off. But with this, Pete, I didn't even check because I know that the, the credits can be deceivingly long anyway because they include all the dubbing stuff. I just kept going. Some Pete, it was as though there was some sort of. Uh, some sort of energy binding me to the to the episode, <laughs> this, and they... this was before I texted you to stay through the credits. Um, I, I actually di I did not. S I started watching the episode around the time of your text, but I did not see your text until I was done watching. Okay, because I I read the Boba stuff elsewhere, and then w w wait what? And went back, and sure enough, there it is. 
in the first ever post-credit scene in any Star Wars, Matt, there are twin sons. We pan over to Jabba's palace, so we know we're on Tatooine. We see inside skinny Gamorrean guards who did not die uh, at the uh, the gladiator ring at the beginning of the season. Uh, there is a throne. There's a chair on Jabba's throne. Uh, and there is a slightly less rotund figure in it. This not a hut, but instead the uh, Jabba's uh, number two, Bib Fortuna, who has not only survived destruction at the sail barge, uh, but now has the very same staff that his Kenner action figure did in 1983. Pete, is that the not screen accurate in 1983 action figure that now low all these decades later is screen accurate? <laughs> well, the, the, it's the staff that is. He talks to Weequay, uh, and then he's interrupted by some gunfire. There's the the iconic stairs. Somebody falls down it. Uh, Bib Fortuna, who I've labeled here in my notes, Bib Fatuna. That that's not fat shaming. He's just you know he's he's got he's not, he's not healthy, Pete. He's, he hasn't been living a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> um, he then distinctly says to one of the goons, McClunky. Indeed, Pete. That. <laughs> It made me laugh because, you know, McClunky for, as probably most listeners know, McClunky now is the is the audio that's been inserted into the latest version of uh, the the New Hope uh, scene where, where Han shoots first. Um, and it, it was just a wonderful little moment. Uh, who has been taking out all these people? Uh, it is the bringer of death, Fennec Shand herself. Uh, it was cleared the way for Boba Fett. Um and just great stuff here from Bib Fortuna. Boba, I thought you were dead. I mean, the voice acting is great. I know it's a Lucasfilm uh, sound editor or sound engineer uh, who also had played him in um, one of the movies. Uh, was Bib, Yeah, Bib Fortuna was in one of the prequels, right? He's Maybe in episode, episode one. He's episode one. Java, yeah. So the same guy, the same Lucasfilm sound employee who had played him in episode one plays him here and has voiced him kind of in, you know, in between. But just... Again, a sound guy's voice, even though he's not primarily a, a voice actor, just it sells it. You know, Boba, I thought you were dead. I've heard many rumors. Boom, uh, shot to the head, and then Boba pulls him out to, to, to give us what, Pete? Well, let's not leave out Ming-Na Wen, okay, who has freed this blue Twi'lek slave, give her, given her the, the head direction, like... I've, I've saved you. You can go now. Uh, so there is a code. Uh, she, behind the throne, grabs the, uh, the jar of Spotchka and uh, sits on the right hand of Boba Fett, who we're going to learn a lot more about in the book of Boba Fett coming December 2021. <laughs> let's chase down some theories pete i know i said it before but i feel like i feel like we have two diverging stories coming out of this episode one is 
the Luke Skywalker trains uh, Grogu story, which almost certainly is going to be not a live action thing. Um, could they return? Could one or both return a little bit in season two? Uh, or pardon me, in season three? I'd say yes. In fact, I mean, there is kind of reference made to, you know, he'll see you again or, or, or something like that. But just like with with much love and all due respect to uh, season two of Star Trek Discovery, probably the best season of that show thus far, when you have the specter of the ultimate thing from this story universe, Luke Skywalker or, you know, the Enterprise, if you let that hang over the story too much, then whatever you're doing right now um, pales in comparison. And, you know, first half of season two of Star Trek Discovery, uh, this is all well and good, uh, but uh, when are we going to get to the Spock and then when are we, we going to get to the Enterprise? With this, leave them wanting more. And if the wanting more is a Marvel comic four-episode exclusive to come out in 18 months called the Luke and Grogu adventures or whatever, fine. But I think more so this episode is setting up, obviously not the whole episode, but by episode's end, you know, the Mandalorian with more Mandalorians learning to make his way not as a lone gunman in the West, but rather as as part of a, a group of like-minded people. That, I think, is theory-wise where we're headed for the future. Yeah, the, the question we are left with is what is the way forward? clearly season three is what is the retaking reunification of Mandalore. Um, Din Djarin is now essentially the reluctant king of Mandalore. He has the dark saber. Now does this turn into a saga of uh, Bo-Katan and people who are loyal to her versus Dinjarin, or is it as simple as I pledge myself to you, Dinjarin, because you have the dark saber? Yeah, I wanted it, but you know, it chose you. It fell into your hands. What complicates this is that we have the rules of the dark saber as dictated in this episode and this episode alone, which is you have to win it in combat. Um, you don't have to kill the person that you take it from, but you have to win it in combat. You can't just hand it over. Except, Matt, Bo-Katan got the Darksaber when Sabine Wren had it and gave it to her. Now, and, and that was in Star Wars Rebels. The first time that that happened, in the season four, the final season premiere, Bo-Katan did not accept it. In the second episode, after much battling and all the clans unifying, then she accepted it for her sister, uh, the fallen Duchess Satine Kreese. Okay. Um, so she has taken it before. The show's called The Mandalorian, and The Mandalorian is Dinjarin. It is not Bo-Katan. Um, so your mind whirls at what the third season can be and you know complicating that is the lack of clarity at this point of what the book of boba fett coming in december 2021 is i've taken a poll we're going to talk about that in a moment um they would seem to be different productions albeit 
connected. But yeah, it's it's got to be this turn to glass planet that we've been told is a graveyard, uh, is is not good by uh, Din Djarin, by Boba Fett, but is desired by Bo-Katan and the people in her sphere. So what does that story look like? And, I mean, a couple of thoughts. First is, you always... In modern television, you want to stay ahead of things getting stale um, because what what separates out the the top tier programs of the last twenty years is that they're constantly evolving. And you know, you say goodbye to Pete, who, who I will call the big fella in season one of Sopranos. Uh, you know, you say goodbye to him, even though he's a lot of fun, and occasionally he returns as uh, either a ghost or an apparition or a reflection of guilt in the mirror, but... Uh, well, just to, to clarify, he dies in season two. Season two, close enough. My, my point being, you know, whether if you want to use Sopranos as a star point or Lost or Oz or whatever it is, the, 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 the top tier shows move out of that episodic model, move into the serial model, and you kind of have these lines of delineation where you say, okay, we're not going back. I wonder if, can this show, uh, and I hesitate to say this because the show's been nothing but great, but I also know uh, fans can be fickle, and Star Wars fans, Pete, you may have heard, sometimes don't like it when they're given things that, that, that they might, that aren't how they imagine it would be. If season three becomes this kind of, um, not, you know, welcome to the Old West, but the railroad is here, society has arrived. Um, the, 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 the exploration of Mandalorian uh, politics and culture and society and whatnot, how would the audience react to that? And I think that's something that does filter into the creative process, even with a show like this that's been nothing but a hit and where surely Favreau and Filoni are flying high. Uh, as quite frankly, saviors of Disney Plus uh, for you know from the November 2019 launch until now, until other shows could finally you know conclude production and conclude post production, you know through the age of COVID and whatnot, it is these two guys and the Mandalorian production team that have saved Disney Plus. One could certainly make the argument. Um, that said, might you tick off a whole bunch of the fans if all of a sudden it becomes very you know etiquette and protocol and a lot of you know discussion of trade routes and treaties and, and whatnot which you know a little bit of a obviously i'm tweaking star wars a little bit there but frankly pete i also think of westworld the first season of westworld it's like it was made for me but it turns out that jj abrams knows how to start a thing and not finish a thing and i don't know that i'm going to watch season four of westworld after having seen the third season it was that like that much of a departure from the thing that you sold me on in the beginning. So your thoughts to that, Pete? Well, the, the big question is, is the Mandalorian a show? Is it the hit that it is without the greatest breakout character in modern star Wars without Grogu? Now, are they completely taking him out of the show? We've had one episode in which he does not appear last week's chapter. Okay. Chapter 15. Um, it didn't hurt that story, but his shadow looms large. So now he's with Luke Skywalker and 
everything that comes with that, you know, your phrase, Matt, which I'll repeat here, the flavor of the writer's room, the flavor of this extraordinarily limited season two writer's room and largely as a show. Okay. Three writers wrote episodes, uh, these eight episodes, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and Rick Famuyiwa. Okay. The flavor of the writer's room is we do not wait to do the thing. We do it. Um, let's bring in Bo-Katan. Let's bring in Ahsoka Tano. Let's bring in Boba Fett and back Fennec Shand. Okay. And then let's bring in Luke Skywalker. Like they're not delaying. The book of Boba Fett makes a lot of sense from a variety of standpoints. Tamora Morrison turns 60 the day after Christmas. They're not waiting to tell that story. They're telling that story now, and and wisely so. And the demand is there. I think there is a demand to tell a story for the first time, live action, on Mandalore. What does that look like? The, the fans who either haven't watched uh, Clone Wars and or Star Wars Rebels, who can, can do that in between, and then next year, maybe... Uh, 2022 if they're going to give some breathing room to book of boba fett um you know we we go to mandalore i i just i wonder i i i'd like the answer but i also want to see how it's going to do on its own terms what it means for you know the the wolf the lone wolf and the cub dynamic that has really been embraced of this show um is grogu still on the show i mean we're told by din Djarin, i'll see you again i promise he'll be back does he get spun off on his own show um the thing that i posited when we said that maybe the end of the series is din Djarin handing him over to luke skywalker it increases the weight of what we know is going to happen to luke's academy um that it's going to be set ablaze that that jedi students are going to die that he takes himself out of the equation for the rest of the galaxy um is there the assumption that he thinks he has lost grogu now granted that is down the line that's at least 10 to 15 years from the events of this episode you know the the people saying, oh, man, wait till Luke brings him back and Ben Solo starts picking on Grogu and all that. You know, uh, Ben Solo is maybe just alive at this point. Um, is it possible that he's already with Luke? Maybe is Grogu the first pupil? I think we have enough to say that that Leia is the, the first pupil. Um is this a show that then becomes a once a season check-in on Luke and Grogu? Uh, is there a significant passage of time, like a five-year passage of time, and the story weaves into checking in with Luke? I mean, that they hung their hat on the digital technology tells me it's not going to be something they do often. Um Unless, of course, they then decide, well, we did that then, and down the road, we're going to go get an actor 
and and he will play him and maybe Hamill dubs the voice or whatever. I, I think a lot is possible here. Concerning the topic of what will the intersection be between um, the, the Book of Boba Fett and Din Djarin, uh, I'm reminded again of the the great book, second in the series, the great book, uh, Tales from Java's Palace. Uh, first in the series was Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina. Uh, the Cantina one, in my mind, being um, not as good, but in Tales from Java's Palace, uh, there's all these little short stories, you know, about the Rancor Keeper and Java's Java's it's on my shelf right over there. Yeah, it's <laughs> right next to Tales from Mos Eisley Cantina, right next to Tales from the Empire. It, it, it's a ton of fun, and only once you start to read it do you realize, like, hey, that first story about the Rancor Keeper, like, it ends with the Rancor being killed. Maybe there's a little bit of wrap-up after that, but it's like, oh, most of that story takes place before Return of the Jedi, and then it wraps up at the beginning of the Jabba's Palace scene. And by the time you get to the very, very end stories, it's like the end stories are starting with the last little bits of the Jabba's Palace portion of Return of the Jedi and then continuing continuing after it. That's a long way of saying, Pete, I would be sure that in um, the Book of Boba Fett that we get Din Djarin, maybe we get Cara Dune, um, and so forth, if only just passing through. Maybe it's one scene, and maybe it's even vastly underplayed. Maybe it's played as the opposite of the return of Luke Skywalker as you never saw him before, the Luke Skywalker from the 1989 sequel, uh, or pardon me, yes, sequel trilogy, first episode of that, you know, that was never made, blah, blah, blah. Um, maybe it's just literally like, yes, that's him, and it's in passing, and you go, Wait, what? Now, now he just normally travels around with no uh, helmet, or what do you mean? Now he's got a scar, or now he's got he's got his own uh, red arm, red blast, or whatever it is, and it's enough for you to say, well, what's going? On? When is this taking place? What, what, what? And then to set up the next season where you, it's the explanation of where how he got the scar, or you know whatever it is, you kind of have that that itch that then gets scratched in season three. But I would guarantee that there's some crisscross, and it's minor. Um, but it's enough to kind of have you have you want and have you want and then you get it and you go, you know, unlike, well, surely you could never do the Luke Skywalker Chronicles, uh, you know, you're going to get more of the Mandalorian. Yeah, the book of Boba Fett, um, you know, I'll, I'll preface again the poll and we'll look at that in a moment. The thing that has to be told there is how did he survive his ordeal in the great pit of Carcoon, like that, that's the thing, everything else, you know, Bib Fortuna is telling us there were many rumors. Okay. How did the armor wind up in the hands of Jawas? Doesn't seem like he traded it. Did it come off at some point? How did it come off? Uh, what did he do for all that time when he was wearing a darker robe, uh, than the Tuscan Raiders, but had their weaponry. Uh, so you do the flashbacks there. Obviously, he's taking control of uh, Jabba the Hutt's throne. Does he build a syndicate? I think the very real question, and you question it as you watch the episode, like, why'd he just fly off? Is he just a taxi service now? And he, he was done helping out. Um does he maintain this heart of gold that we've seen that he has? I mean, he's become lovable in a way we never had before. 
that feeling towards him. It was always the reputation, the fear, the menace. And now, you know, he's kind of like this scruffy looking nerf herder. And I think that's another element of the book of Boba Fett, Matt, if I may pitch, uh, the book of Boba Fett is about this grudge he has against a couple of smugglers and their Wookiee friend that there's digital de-aging technology that they could show up in their, the millennium Falcon or their Lando ship in a scene. Maybe see again, I'm using star Trek discovery as a bit of a, as a bit of a template here. I think if you spend too much time, um, prepping the audience to want the new the the new updated adventures of the thing that's old then you know discovery has not suffered from um a creative block but i think it's been lucky that it hasn't it's been lucky that it it's been lucky quite frankly that in the third season they've completely reinvented the show to get away from those things because otherwise you just sit and go well, I happen to know exactly where this fits into the timeline. And, you know, Pete, while you were talking about Ben Solo, I looked up and uh, there's a whole footnote to explain why Ben Solo was born uh, at uh, 5 ABY and this show is 9 ABY. Therefore, Ben Solo is four years old definitively. Like, there's there's a time and a place for all of that. Um, could could the Boba Fett show, miniseries, movie, whatever, be headed... When I say movie, of course, I mean to Disney+. Plus. Um could it be headed to some kind of Millennium Falcon thing? It could be, but then how would the how would the end of that show, or how would the the climax of that season? I'm thinking the you know the return of Ahsoka in this uh, season. Like, how would that be any different? And we want the, the big push pull for all of this is we want the same but different. Uh, and when you nail it, you get the Mandalorian. When you don't nail it, you get, you know, other versions of this. So I asked on Twitter in a poll, what is the book of Boba Fett coming December 2021? Is it the Mandalorian season three? Is it a spinoff series? Is it a mini series? Is it a Disney plus film event? So 40% of the 98 votes we receive say that it is a spin-off series um 32 say it's a mini series uh 20 say it is season three of the mandalorian eight percent say it is a film event for disney plus uh i'm glad so peep so few people voted for film event and i'll tell you why pete how long would a standard movie script be how many pages depending on you know what you're looking for anywhere from 90 to 120 pages and that's going to equal about 90 to 120 minutes the rule why is in the a world minute a page. right why in the world would why in the world would disney plus want to have one 120 minute super expensive star wars story when they can look at the exact same script and go we love it it's perfect uh just one thing uh, at the after page thirty, go you know instead of um, th- they then light speed to uh, Coruscant. Instead, say they then light speed to be continued. 
next then on the next page they arrive you know like what i'm saying is that's an awful name for a planet matt well uh bottom line being you can take the exact here's the reality this is on a subscription service a monthly subscription service it makes sense if you have the best 120 page star wars story ever figure out a way to divide it into two or three or as many parts as possible hopefully something that divides evenly or unevenly into four since four weeks a month etc um so yeah i think even if it's even if this is the boba fett movie um that was being worked on you know five years ago even if they've just taken that script and said we want to do that um and you make a couple changes along the way to chop it up into miniseries or limited series whatever it is there's no way it's a two-hour disney plus movie and that's it and i think our audience has has responded to that i mean 72 percent think it's a spinoff or a miniseries i think it's more of a miniseries a a one season type of situation and like again i i said before you you strike while the iron is hot tamora morrison ming na wen do this now don't wait uh you want to do more you can certainly do more um you know obviously held back from that disney investor day and you know you let it be its its own announcement here it's it this is the way um perhaps to be answered in the book of boba fett hence the cold-blooded murder (laughs) how did bib fortuna get off the the exploding sail barge that would be that would be fun and also it makes me think you know is that something that's included in the entire body of the book of boba fett do you do some kind of like countdown mini episodes you know short wars if you will uh do you just as star wars oftentimes does do you just leave that space so that sometime somebody else can come along and tell that whether it's filmed whether it's computer animated whether it's for you know for a new tales of java's palace uh uh, anthology whatever it might be um or does it just exist because it has to exist and it's the second most famous face from java's palace and the first one died for sure twice got choked then blowed up uh the other guy dot 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 escape or something or i ended up under the what you know like it's enough kind of shrugging to to allow you that story there had been a lot of rumors of a boba fett miniseries coming um so this is not surprising again you know what it looks like how it works i mean we're there and and we will absolutely podcast that back to this episode here so Boba Fett has shown us his chain code, his father's armor, uh, Mandalorian. He fought in the Mandalorian Civil Wars. Um, yet the question comes up again here, and Bo-Katan says he's not a Mandalorian. Matt, I need a ruling. Boba Fett, Mandalorian or not Mandalorian? What say you? Um... Boba Fett said in this season, and I'd like you to, if this has been confirmed in other canonical material, could you confirm, Pete, uh, that the armor, you know, his father's armor was given to him by Mandalorians in recognition for 
uh, I think, what was it, the Mandalorian Civil War. But in, in recognition for being a good guy to Mandalore, he was given Mandalorian armor. Do I have that correct or at least yeah. as correct? Okay. Well, then I feel like that's, I mean, I mean, I don't know what real world analogy you want to use. That's like if you're if you're made an honorary or if you're made a citizen of the country that you helped save, uh, if you're given that honorary doctorate in recognition for all your work, I mean, that's you got you got the doctorate. You want to say, well, that's honorary versus whatever. And now you can't be a professor of economics because you just got an honorary economics degree or whatever. Uh, OK, fine. But that's not a major distinction. He was given it. I mean, therefore, I think he... How about this way, Pete? He's an honorary Mandalorian. And I think that shame on Bo-Katan for being a bit elitist, seeing as how uh, her Mandalorian forebears bestowed this greatest of gifts to his father. And, you know, she's the middle way of we take off our helmets and then there's the zealotry of the watch, of Death Watch, of once she was a member, by the way, okay, under Pre Vizsla, voiced by John Favreau, uh, that, you know, went back to the way of not showing your face, which Din Djarin has now, you know, uh, violated several times. The, the number of beings who have seen him without his helmet continues to grow. The majority of them trustworthy, but it, it's still changing so you know this season is about reuniting with your people um and along the way finding out you are each other's people with uh mando and and grogu yet needing to separate you know grogu is not safe in the hands of only dinjarin luke is the better protector for now you know you got to go to school you got to do the thing if the academy is even up and running at this point um the the blood of grogu and that moff gideon has extracted more that he's studied it i feel like that will continue to be a thing dr pershing is still alive we're told he is a top tier target of the new republic because he is a cloner uh, although he was captured and cooperating uh, with Cara Dune and the rest of our characters. Um, simultaneously, Gideon lives. The wonderful Giancarlo Esposito needs to continue to be involved with this. Uh, he knows of the bond between the child and, and Mando, and I'm sure he's going to attempt to exploit that. It is interesting how open-ended the uh the possibilities are for season three with with so many characters on the board uh i'll again take a little bit of a victory lap i had ultimately landed on the notion that none of the goodies would would uh die at the end of this season and we got that um i think too you know i, I know Giancarlo esposito has said oh there's a plan through four seasons or words to that effect and i think sometimes people mistake a plan for gospel and um mistake it as hey they're just adapting you know like john favreau has a book somewhere or he has a plan for a four a four book series and they're just adapting that into um into the show and it somehow is perfect 
it may well be that after after the mammoth work on these two seasons, and what we definitely can see was a two-season arc here, it may well be that there was some space given to just say, I'm not quite sure what we want to pick up next, particularly as um, Star Wars Inc. is starting to ramp up a variety of other things, like if Favreau and Filoni are heavily behind the Book of Boba Fett and... Um, Mandalorian Season 3, and presumably the Ahsoka series, and certainly at the very least are overseeing um, Rangers of the New Republic, if not, you know, like, writing every script between the two of them or a couple other people along the way, like, they need to now recognize that they might be spread a bit thin and and mix some different pieces around. So if Favreau is still the showrunner for Mandalorian Season 3, but there's a co-showrunner and it's Rick Famuyiwa, for example, or it's Bryce uh, Dallas Howard or whoever it might be, give them enough room to sit and say, hey, I spent all day today thinking about only Mandalorian Season 3 while you touched in with uh, Lion King live-action prequel, live-action computer-generated prequel, and Rangers, and Ahsoka, and Mando, and Boba, and so forth. Oh my goodness, I had these great discussions about how it, you know, how we can do a whole Dr. Pershing self-contained episode and it's going to be awesome. You know, leave that story space open um, because that's that's how you prevent things from getting stale. So I want to go as we end theories here with uh, some some lightning questions here, Matt. Are, are you ready? I am ready. Fire away. Have R2-D2 and Grogu met um, before? no i'm gonna say no because we've already had enough r2 meeting everybody (laughs) so maybe he didn't sneak him out of the temple uh when another skywalker uh committed a a massacre nah i'll still vote no on that one okay uh so he's in luke's protection uh is he the very first pupil Luke's had is, is Leia, the first pupil. Uh, I mean, I think Leia is the first one Luke taught. I, I I think we could we could we could split the baby. No pun intended. We could split the baby with Luke is the uh, pardon me. Leia is the first one that Luke taught, uh, but um, but Grogu is the first pupil in the temple. Okay. So or ben in the Sol- academy, rather. I'm sorry. Ben Solo's on his way. He will eventually be seduced to the dark side of the Force and uh, become Kylo Ren. Uh, is Grogu still a student concurrently with Ben Solo? Well, concurrently with the start of Ben Solo's education, I would say that is likely, given what we're seeing about seeing concerning the age process the maturity process for uh grogu species is he still a student there at the end of the uh the academy goodness i hope not uh in fact i just i think that that would just deeply rub people along the wrong way given as how uh the child has been ever present as a child and even you know yoda for all his powers is still childlike in stature and whatnot i just i think to have that reveal would not be a good one. I, I I was talking before about leaving story space. Let's leave the story space for the 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 thing where baby Yoda gets off the planet just in time, but right before the attack. So pushing forward a little bit uh, with my line of thought, um, 
We've seen that Grogu doesn't really get along in school. He stole the kid's cookies. Granted, he asked. The kid refused. He, you know, grabbed him with the force. If Ben and Grogu are at Luke's academy at the same time, does Ben bully Grogu? Does Grogu bully Ben? Um... (laughs) Maybe a bit of both. Maybe the secret, you know, a la, you know, amidst all the other story threads, uh, Jar Jar Binks is the one who destroys the Galactic Republic because he's the, uh, what, the nominating vote to give the War Powers Act or Imperial Power, whatever it is, it's like Jar Jar is the spark. Uh, I grant emergency of powers to the Supreme Chancellor. There you go. I mean, the, the notion that adorable Grogu is going to... Uh, I won't quite say grow up, is going to mature to a point where, you know, like Ben Solo just gets worn down over time and turned into the bully. Um, I kind of, even though I don't want that, I kind of like that. That that gives me a chuckle. Could Grogu, as the first non-related pupil of Luke, be an adjunct professor by the time that uh, Ben Solo is there? Uh, Oh, sure. I mean, again, there's so much flexibility with the with the species here. Where if you, you know, if if the writers you know were to say, okay, so he's been like, you know, he he's at most like eighteen months in terms of human appearance and whatnot, but we really want to just move things forward. Oh man, Yoda's species uh, will all of a sudden grow an egg, and when they pop out of the egg, now now they're. 20 years old you know like and and now the human equivalent 20 years old and, and a super genius it's doogie doogie hauser uh meets uh jedi academy bing bang boom you can do it you can totally do it the five million nay six million dollar question is matt do you redesign this character for this show for this current era of storytelling or do you just leave them wanting more and that's it? And I don't mean to continue to return to kind of like the, 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 the somewhat crass notion of like, hey, Star Wars makes a story. Leave room for the, the special Happy Meal collectible four-page comic book um, because it's great that we have all these stories uh, at various levels of what you want to call it, canon or just accessibility. That's what has helped make Star Wars thrive over all these years is, you know, you can say... I, you know, early 2000s, oh my goodness, I am in the know because I've read the uh, the Leia's twins uh, story book and all that stuff. And, you know, and and the story can continue there for you. I feel like the look, I don't know what I don't know what the ultimate long term view of the Mandalorian is in terms of is it going to go, you know, is it going to go 35 seasons like the Simpsons? Is it going to be four and done? Um I suspect it's going to be less versus more. So the ability to just keep baby Yoda as a cute baby Yoda and have him pop back when the story calls for and to end on that note in the next five years on the calendar, however many seasons that might be, I think that's I think that's the smartest of paths uh, to take. I really, really do. right extend that antenna pete i know you had our our unofficial poll okay our official poll 
it, it came to me, Pete, like a like a message uh, through the force here. There are eleven live action Star Wars films. Imagine that this season two finale is by itself added to the list of Star Wars films. Where does it end up on the list for you? Um, and Pete, the options were uh, it's equal to a certain movie uh, that was seven percent. We asked people to reply with that. Would end up in the bottom third of these supposed 12 movies. Again, the 11 live action plus uh, The Rescue. Bottom third, 0%. Middle third uh, was 16.3%. And then in the top third, so the top four movies, however that is for you, this would be in the top four movies, 76.7%. We heard from JT Adkins. That's at JTA is me. I can't vote. I've never been good at ranking things I like. This episode, I like to be surprised. This episode's hero wasn't a complete surprise, but it was awesome. The new book, that's a surprise. Love it. Uh, they're keeping it interesting, to say the least. Approve. We also heard from James the Sagacious. That's at Big Killin on Twitter. I would say it was the best film, except it left me wanting more because it wasn't film length. It captured just how terrifying it must be to know a Force user is coming your way and there's nothing you can do about it. We also heard from LMD Mary, that's at Geek Kirk. I see for many, this is their favorite episode. For me, mine is still Ahsoka, though. Uh, we heard from Noel Gardner, that's at Noel Camille. I was screaming, crying, and holding my breath the last 10 minutes. Uh, also checking in was Carlito Lee, that's Television, V-I-Z-I-O-N, maybe it should be Vision, pardon my accent there, uh, saying, I liked it more than the movies, and uh, LMD Mary, that's Geek Kirk, replied, same except for Rogue One, which I liked as much, if not more. Uh, we heard from A.K. Frank Castle, that's at DJ Black 357 uh, find me a better non-cliffhanger season finale. Which is quite a statement. Uh, Jen Phillips, uh, that is of course Jennifer, hashtag Fennec Lives, aka Jen Phillips721, said what he said. We heard from Sandra Resinides, who is at Sandra Resinides, uh, that was definitely, uh, it was better than The Last Jedi plus the three prequels combined. Definitely way up there and left me wanting more. And then last but not least, Pete Darren Bell, that's at Darren B4605205, said, Equal to Empire Strikes Back for me. I enjoyed wow. it that much. <laughs> high, high praise. Uh, to Facebook, Matt, where Steve Adams wrote in, wow, what a way to end season two. I really cannot find adequate words to describe how great this was. Not a single story point was left untouched. The child is safe. Gideon is in custody. Grogu is with a Jedi who can train him, and Boba Fett and Fennec Shand are large and in charge at Jabba's palace. I'll, I'll just add, not as large as Bib Fortuna was. <clears throat> I love seeing the Dark Troopers in action. They were really, or they were actually uh, very menacing. Nicely done. I imagine season three will see our team end up on Mandalore, possibly with the Darksaber's ownership to be decided. It was quite fun to watch Agent May, Starbuck, a pro wrestler, and an NMA fighter cut through the Stormtroopers. I would like to know what happened to the third Mandalorian we saw with Katie Sackhoff earlier this season. Anyway, a classic finale for a great season of the best show on television. The future of Star Wars is bright. Indeed, 
So long for now. I will be waiting anxiously for WandaVision and your reviews of each episode. So until January 15th, stay fantastic. And he spelled it with the, the PH, Matt. Uh, which reminds me, Pete, I know we're kind of technically outside of theories, but just to build off, you know, WandaVision and future things, we've been steadfast in saying Disney Plus will only have one kind of top-tier level show at a time. It does occur to me, okay, so fine, Book of Boba Fett, December 2021. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy said the next chapter in the Mandalorian saga or something like that will be Christmas. So, as discussed before, it's possible that that's Boba Fett. It's possible that maybe we get overlap or whatever it is. Add to that, there's the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which, as far as I'm concerned, you know, which is going to come out Christmas 21, mm -hmm. um, could be as as far as I'm concerned, could be a half hour. I mean, it's going to be shot while they make Guardians mm -hmm. three, so could be a half hour long, and I'll enjoy it. Could be an hour and a half long, uh, and as long as it's not as terrible as the Star Wars holiday special, you know, fine. That that could be whatever that is. Add to it. Ms. Marvel is supposed to be late 2021. We actually have per, uh, predicted it kind of more October to November. Also, also wise people have pointed out Hawkeye is in production right. and has some stuff that takes place around Christmas. So that would both in terms of production timeline and, you know, are you really going to film a Christmas story that takes place in the, you know, that gets re released in the summer? Point being, Pete, when does all this stuff come out? We don't know, but we potentially <laughs> not could soon have enough. A, yeah, not soon <laughs> enough is the answer. Trevor Green responded to Steve Adams' post on our uh, Facebook by saying, not to mention starting the episode by blasting Nathaniel Malik in the face and a, a gif here of uh, the old chef's kiss. Um, Trevor responded to, I'm sorry, Steve responded to Trevor uh, by saying, I knew I recognized him. I just couldn't place him. Uh, and then I, of course, chimed in with the most blasphemous face in the galaxy remark. Steve Adams uh, ended the discussion as one does, Matt, in the Marvel universe, where in the Star Wars universe, we say this is the way. You finish a conversation in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by saying, hashtag, it's all connected. Uh, Pete, I'm sure that actor Thomas E. Sullivan, he of uh, <laughs> uh, more shootinist uh, co-pilot in this episode and uh, Nathaniel Malik and whatnot, I'm sure he's a lovely guy. Um, and hopefully his career is on the way up and everything is just wonderful. Uh, but yeah, boy, does he play... Um, actors that were or to see play characters that were glad to see you know get the get the axe pete to the email inbox we go we heard from my pal and yours mike Sorensen. good evening gents it's friday and that means mandalorian unfortunately it's the last one of the season of course it should come as no shock uh, for you to learn that i have thoughts i've been going back and forth now on how i feel about this episode after viewing it twice the action is great, of course, and even though the story setup is pretty well done, uh, pardon me, even the story setup is pretty well done, seeing Nathaniel Malik being a snarky imp was pretty cool. Pete, I love that all the S.H.I.E.L.D. fans, <laughs> you know, season seven of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not the top season or the second no. best or third best or fourth <laughs> best. Uh, it may be the second least best, but for fans who stuck to the end, 
it's just extra joy just to see this guy again. I'm sure he's a lovely guy in real life. He's got a talent at playing people like this. Anything that he says, it's like, come on, don't you know, stupid? Um, but he's just he's just great. And it was extra joy to see him in this and then have his face blasted off. Anyhow, back to Mike. The emotional payoff at the end felt very real. You can see the hurt Din Djarin feels in Pascal's eyes when his face is touched for the first time in likely as a quarter of a century or more. The second viewing was probably harder than the first, knowing it was coming. Seeing the Slave One being used, uh, rather than simply doing a fanboy flyby, was also fantastic. Even with it being fan service, I think it was the right kind of fan service. The Dark Troopers proved to be every ounce as formidable as expected. Maybe even a touch too far? I think our Mando friend may need another back to, uh, back to spray to his central processing unit. I think Favreau found a much more organic way of giving us a-Force moments than Russo's did in Endgame. The four women in this case were together for a reason, not just because they happened to be there. It's almost enough to not even notice it happened. Skywalker shredding through the Dark Troopers like everyone else wades through Stormtroopers was pretty damn cool to see. So, let's look at a few more questionable choices. The, in my opinion, faux conflict of the Darksaber needing to be won is just silly. One of the most memorable, memorable scenes from the Mandalorian stories from Rebels is Sabine handing over the Darksaber to Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan has absolutely zero hesitation to take it then, in front of hundreds of Mandalorians. But suddenly the story uh, of how she got it matters? I think John forgot to call Dave on that one too. Oh my goodness, Pete, could it be? <laughs> could that be it? Why Luke? I loved his action scene. Mac Lloyd-Jones or a stunt performer. Uh, Max Lloyd-Jones or a stunt performer, I don't know. But it just seems too easy a way out. Uh, and one of the selling points for fans feeling burned by the saga sequels was that this show was a separate part of the universe. It's going to it's going to come up a lot, but why can Marvel absolutely crush the de-aging thing and Lucasfilms can't get out of the uncanny valley? Ant-Man, Civil War, Captain Marvel, they all get it right, even if you don't care for the films themselves. But between Rogue One and this... Hiring Sebastian Stan, as was rumored, probably more wishful thinking, and recasting would have made more sense. I'll close with a question you may have already addressed, or will have already addressed. This show had 16 parts, all labeled as chapters. So if this book done, if this book is done in the Book of Boba Fett, uh, will the Book of Boba Fett take its place? Or will the Fett story be a spinoff and get more of Grogu and Din show later? I know it's all speculation at this point, but their push for secrecy has, for me, led to confusion. Can't wait to hear the show. So, Pete, that from Mike. I think we've certainly kind of discussed the possibility, the, not even the possibility, the strong indication that the Book of Boba Fett is its own separate thing, separate from Mandalorian Season 3. But your thoughts there that um, the Marvel movies nail de-aging and this this is less than 100%. I, I don't think it's bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's not Tron Legacy, but it's not perfection. The, the haircut was the thing that had me thinking this was real, ironically, because I bought the face and I'm like, all right, it kind of looks like Sebastian Stan and they, they gave him a wig or they cut his hair in such a way and they were able to get him off a Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It was before they started filming. And again, I, I'm wearing my glasses. It's almost four o'clock in the morning and I'm 
crying in joy. So I was not in a good place to be evaluating it. On second look, it it's not as good as maybe we might think. I mean, I shared one deep fake YouTube video with Matt. To me, you go down a hole on those in terms of, well, this one's better than that. You know, people have taken, um, you know, uh, Alden, Ehrenreich, uh, and, and put Harrison Ford's face on his body for Solo. You know, why does it seem that people who are dealing with off-the-shelf stuff can do as good of, if not uh, better, a job than than Lucasfilm. I think it stands to the amount of technology that's that's out there. Um, if they're going to do more of this, I I think a, a physical face is going to be re- required. But we know that Lucasfilm for a very very long time has been at the forefront of of this technology. You know the the rumors of buying up likenesses of humphrey bogart to to make a you know sequel to the maltese falcon down the road you know 25 years ago have have led to this and i know that all of the de-aging that has been done for marvel and all the way as far back as um uh as tron so a lot all of the disney de-aging same thing with pirates of the caribbean there's been some in there um it actually has not been uh, industrial light and magic they've they've um they've gone to a vfx company called lola vfx um so i mean a couple of thoughts appear or a couple of thoughts come to me was this maybe was this episode an opportunity for lucasfilm to step up the game quite a bit uh we're not going to ship it out to lola vfx for a variety of reasons including they're the best in the world and they're super they're more expensive than we want to pay uh or we think we can we can handle this internally because we have every bit of footage from uh from mark hamill playing luke skywalker including 1983 stuff we have all these stills we can we can do it ourselves um was it did they maybe approach lola and lola just schedule wise couldn't do it um I think those are all possibilities. Um, to me, I don't know. I was glad to have Mark Hamill's face in this, and if this is a, ro- a road that they want to go down in the future and recast, I think that's okay. Um, whether it's Sebastian Stan or somebody else, I think that's okay. But you kind of get, among other things, you get, you know, if, if you didn't like the arc that Luke Skywalker had in the sequels, well, this is kind of some vindication for you. And if you did like that arc, well, here's a portion in the storyline that that has not canonically been covered so it's kind of win-win across the board pete let's now hear from somebody who also could be in the running to be king of mandalore i refer to fred from the netherlands hello matt and pete and all listeners to fantastic geek this is fred from the netherlands with some feedback for the mandalorian season two episode eight the season two finale And we are really going out with a bang. IMDb gave this episode a 9.9 and I really think it earns it. IMDb scores are always a little sketchy, but in this case I think it's very appropriate. Especially with almost 18,000 votes. And that just in a few days. 
I read some complaints about the recreation of Luke Skywalker, but I think they did a marvelous job. Although you could see it's it's not completely real, it still remains difficult to recreate a human. But what are you complaining about in a series where you have a puppet called Grogu? I think it was great. And also great that at the end credits they put Mark Hamill's name on it. Cool that Ming-Na Wen was in the episode again as Fennec. And of course Koska and Bo-Katan were in it. But I really wondered where Axe Wolves was. Why weren't they with the three of them? And somebody said uh, on the internet, almost all kills were performed by women here in this episode. And that's true, but, well, if you don't put ex-wolves in it, your male killing quote is going down. Of course, we still have the Mandalorian and Boba Fett. I found the Dark Troopers quite impressive, but still not a match for a Jedi, obviously. And the end scene was terrific. So, what can you do with an artificial human, a puppet, somebody who never takes his helmet off, but then finally does? You can create a marvelous end scene. Okay, Matt and Pete, I want to thank you very much for this nice ride with The Mandalorian, and see you back at Star Trek Discovery. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, I must admit, I do not, uh, I don't check out the IMDb ratings for stuff, but for it to be a 9.9 or 9.7, whatever it is that, that Fred had said, I mean, that's, that, that, that is phenomenal, especially in this day and age where you can say, you know, where there could be crazies, you know, like, oh, this was secretly directed by J.J. Abrams, therefore I'm going to give it a one or, you know, nonsense like that. Yeah, I don't put a lot of stock into what's rated on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes to a to a lesser extent. Uh, on to another observation of Fred's. I, I do like the simple truth that he gave that uh, you can't complain about the nature in which you were given more young Luke Skywalker when you're also enjoying a show that has a puppet co-lead. Yeah, again, enjoy what you have. Did we ever think we'd get more Luke Skywalker in this era uh, with Mark Hamill's face, with his voice, somehow surprisingly maintaining this secret? I mean, he, he said like in April he was done with the character. Fooled you. Love it. Pete, of course, we will be talking about the whole second season in our wrap-up next week. Also do that through the lens of the Star Wars Gallery episode. Uh, my understanding, your understanding is it's going to be a multi-hour or you know a big chunk, uh, and that's probably it as opposed to week to week, uh, in part because they probably want to build anticipation for WandaVision. But uh, plenty of conversation ahead of us, and of course, all this conversation made possible by the people who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content that might come in the way of early listeners or uh anything that doesn't wind up anywhere else but the only way to know for sure is to set your browser to uh, patreon.com slash fantastic geek figure out what level to which you value this product we put out for you and then enjoy everything that's there 
Pete, how can people be in touch with you to share their final season two thoughts? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,722 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the P and the H like it today. As mentioned before, Pete, if you're just here for the Star Wars content, we'll be back next weekend to wrap up Season 2 of The Mandalorian. Uh, If you're here for Star Trek as well, see you uh, next Saturday as we talk Discovery Episode 311, that show heading into its final three episodes. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I'll see you again. I promise. Thank you.